You're listening to Radio Free Satan. Enjoy the show. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Witchcraft, like magic sorcery. To me, it's nothing but fairy tale mumbo jumbo. I'm a scientist, Driscoll. I believe what I can see, what I can feel and touch. The basis of fairy tales is reality. The basis of reality is fairy tales. Did you ever meet a witch, Driscoll? A woman becomes queen if her magic is a hundred times more powerful than the rest of the coven, which is like a serpent. I have made my pact with the Orusibur. Hear me! In nomine Dei Nostri Satanas Luciferi Excelsis. In the name of Satan, the ruler of the earth, the king of the world, I command the forces of darkness to bestow their infernal power upon us. Open wide the gates of hell and come forth from the abyss by these names. Today, Satanism Satan. was never stronger than at the present Lucifer, time. Belial, Leviathan. Welcome to the Nine Cents Greater Magic episode. I'm your host, Adam Campbell. It's great to have you. It is October 28th, and I'm bringing you a historic episode of Nine Cents. I sat down with the High Priestess of the Church of Satan, Magistra Peggy Nadramia, and Citizen Anaya Asema for a thorough discussion about greater magic, with a feminine twist at times. The full moon has risen above us, the wind was howling, and some of us were enduring a storm that literally rocked the house. We addressed questions from you, the audience, thank you for sending them in, and a few from the past episode. And now it is my privilege to bring you a discussion on greater magic. Greater Magic Theory Skepticism is the natural reaction magic is ever present. What kind of part can music play in your ritual? Um, and is it important? Does it heighten your emotion? And I guess, what would the role of music be? I find music to be very, very useful in ritual, um, especially when there's a group ritual. Well, and use it in different ways. As an individual, sometimes I may have a particular mood that I want to call on, or it's something that helps me keep a, a focus and sort of an ebb and a fall so that I can keep a certain flow. Sometimes I get caught up in ritual and music actually helps define time for me. Mm-hmm. So that is helpful. But definitely in groups, working with multiple people, it it tends to cause a little bit of a consistency people can people respond differently to music however there's that note that people can follow people can follow the rhythm and you know your your heartbeats kind of get in sync and 
the tone and the mood and the atmosphere and the environment becomes more in sync. And I think it's a great cue to keep everyone on the same page. Um, Peggy, did you have anything to add there? When we've done group rituals, we program the, the music very carefully and uh, we have it, we try to put it on a loop so that just in case mm-hmm. we don't finish, um, it starts again because yeah. there's nothing worse than the ritual keeping going and the music suddenly goes click and there's <laughs> right. nothing going on. Um, the, we did do a ritual years ago. We were, it was a treat to have a very skilled keyboardist with us <laughs> who uh, sat at the keyboard and kept uh, a flowing organ music going the entire time and he kept the music uh, in sync with what was going on in the ritual and that was really a treat and if you can get someone to to do live music in a ritual and keep it going and it actually becomes part of everything and it was it was part of his participation in the ritual that you know he was expressing his emotions and likewise uh from the keyboard so it was a wonderful thing to have happen that's great. Yeah, I've actually run into the music running out scenario myself. I've got to imagine if it, if, if it was a tape, for example, because <laughs> nowadays, you know, everyone's on uh, digital music. The majority of people are on digital music. Uh, CDs are kind of, you know, go, going the way of the dodo. But back in the day, it would be like a tape in a tape deck. And they did make a very loud click <laughs> when yep. it turned off or when it switched sides and stuff. So that would be very jarring in a, in a original mm-hmm. situation, I'm sure. <laughs> or to flip it around. So I, I was going to touch on this a little bit in practice, and I'll probably expand a little bit more there, but I, I want to know, do uh, do you prefer classical or ambient or um, actual, uh, like, vocals uh, included with your, with your ritual music? Um, and I guess opera, I'm going to throw on the classical side. We use both. Yeah. Um, it's common for us to use... Well, and, and anything. It depends on who's involved, what, what the working is about. You know, a little bit of everything from Gregorian chant to, uh, to hard rock. Yeah. You know, we, we've done it all. So it just depends on what you're doing. And sometimes we've, we've, in ritual, there'll be a sudden switch. And take it to a different, different thing entirely, and it can be kind of comical sometimes. <laughs> I remember one ritual that surprised me that it was pretty, um, pretty ambient. And towards the end, all of a sudden, he had thrown in Tori Amos's version of like a prayer. <laughs> and and it was hysterical but at the same time the the ritual working was part mockery at that point and part ecstasy and so it was a very wonderful way to to close the ritual actually <laughs> it was a great summation of what had happened and there was it was a little bit parody but it it was wonderful so Nice. And Peggy, do you have a preference? I mean, is there one you always go with the other, or is it also just sort of depending on what you're doing? When we're doing group rituals, we almost always use classical music, and we will often use soundtracks, because that's what it is. It's mm-hmm. a soundtrack, so it's it's already written for something to be going on behind it. So, 
yeah, um, it's mostly classical, some ambient and soundtracks. Um, but there's always that individual working. And I think that this is where, um, you know, people do their first workings without even knowing it. I think when you're, you're young and you've got your favorite record playing in your room, you got the doors closed, mom mm-hmm. and dad are out uh, shopping or something, and you're up in the middle, of the, you're bouncing on the bed with the singing into the hairbrush. <laughs> and, uh, I really think that, I think that's a working. I think that's a huge expenditure of emotional energy. And, and, you know, I, I think you can still run a working that way. If you've got a favorite song that makes you just totally rock out, you know, why not? Yeah. When you're home alone, blast it you know, air guitar around the room, think about the thing you want to have happen, envision yourself there and, and completely immerse yourself in that. And I don't, I think that's no less a working than, uh, than a big fancy ceremony. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I guess that does also speak and, and certainly what, just going off of, of, of what Nanaya said earlier and what you just said now, there, I, I think there's this misconception out there that, uh, a ritual has to be serious and, and just drawn and, and reserved and, and you can't, you can't have fun. And if someone does crack, you know, a, a smile or, or because the music stops or changes or someone trips or, you know, whatever, that you can't laugh or you have to try to keep it together. Um, do you think that, uh, I mean, that's really just sort of par for the course and, and, and sort of going with that experience can actually add to the ritual or, or do you think that it does in fact just take away oh you mean when something happens by accident yeah and it just breaks the mood someone starts giggling or mm-hmm. laughing or or if you are just having fun jumping up and down in your bed uh, rocking out i think the i think it's really important to, that those moments do not interfere with like that that you incorporate them in and you just laugh and you just move along mm-hmm. i i don't think that that ruins a ritual i think it's really important when you ritualize that you're with a group of people with whom that won't make a, a difference. It wouldn't be a problem. Um, no one's going to get mad or glare at you or, you know, <laughs> throw you down on the floor and go, infidel! Um, <laughs> off with his head. <laughs> I don't think, you know, it's it shouldn't be like the, the, the ceremonial audience room in The Wizard of Oz, like, step forward! Yeah. Like, it... it <laughs> You shouldn't be that scared of the other participants in the ritual. Um, <laughs> no, you should be able to incorporate it. And But, you know, that said, there are some people for whom ritual magic has to be very ritualized. And mm. that is how it works for them. And having a certain set of tools and cleaning them properly and lining them up and having the right candles and setting everything up very carefully... And going through the steps very methodically, that is how they work their magic. And I respect that. I don't disrespect it just because, you know, I've done some of my most effective workings on a walking trip, just walking and visualizing and thinking. And those to me are very effective rituals, but I don't denigrate if another needs a very serious and planned, pragmatic sort of series of methods of movements and clothing and everything Mm -hmm. that's that's fine too there's something to be said for it and i think everyone should give it a shot absolutely okay so here's a question i'm jumping right back into the theory side of things 
And this is something that um, defines a, a pseudo from a Satanist. Um, someone who's actually studied or read versus someone who, who thinks they have. Um, is it all just psychodrama? As opposed to what else? Well, I guess as opposed to um, actual manipulation of the world around you. It is manipulation of the world around you through psychodrama. Mm -hmm. I would object to the use of the word just yeah. psychodrama. It is psychodrama. It is psychology. You had another question there on the list you gave me. Is it all psychology? It's Yes, it is all psychology. It is all the power of the human mind. But it's not just psychology in that psychology and the power of of our minds is so vast and still to be mapped and understood that yeah that's what we're doing here we're not praying to a real devil who's sitting on a throne we are using our own energy and our own minds and our own focus but it's a huge vast limitless amount of power it is to be respected and um used properly mm -hmm. and it's yes it is psychodrama it is just not just psychodrama if you get my meaning well certainly there is a misconception between people who haven't educated themselves on, on satanism um, for example one of the thousands of other religions out there that practice magic versus um, the way that the, the Satanist practices magic in that addressing it as, as the psychodrama. But through that, you are actually generating uh, energy, control, focus, and direction. Um, one thing that I, I, I found, uh, the essay by Magister Nemo, who's there, fascinating. Because we've had members that, I say we, there have been members that have left the Church of Satan because they... And I don't really want to get into personal anything, but um, because they do believe in, in an actual spiritual Satan or they've grown to that belief. And I think I think there's um, the essay who's there that addresses this brilliantly, though it was it, it was released some time ago. I feel a benevolent interest and a strange sense of comradeship with this presence. As I continue to move through the ritual and address Satan, I'm addressing this presence I feel but do not see. Always, when finished with such a ritual, I have the profound sense of having communicated with someone, and this communication feels meaningful and unbounded by the limitations imposed by the words which were spoken. And, and what I, I'm, I'm taking from this article, not necessarily that snippet, is he's addressing the suspension of disbelief um, that is necessary um, and, and it all falls into what I would like to think is the psych psychodrama and the psychology of the ritual. But because you feel a presence in the ritual. Um, and, and I guess this goes to the overarching idea of ritual and, and not to analyze what you experience in the ritual chamber. Because, I mean, it's called the intellectual decompression chamber for a reason, right? I mean, you're, you're not supposed to... Uh, nitpick and, and try to explain or examine what you're feeling or, or what's going on. You're just supposed to build it up to whatever end the ritual it, point is. But he is addressing this idea that 
in ritual, he feels a presence. And um, he goes through a creative way of uh, addressing and explaining it for himself. And I think some people have um, left the truth of Satan because they, they haven't come to the same conclusion of, of that suspension of disbelief. Um, and the idea that we do create this, this, this dark majesty of experience when we're ritualizing. But that doesn't mean that it's this spiritual thing. Um, and, and so I, I wanted to address that through this question a little bit. Um, do you two have anything to add to this? I, I do have an opinion on that. Um, I think from my personal experience, when you're in that environment with the suspension of disbelief, I think that you have an opportunity to expand your mind and utilize your mind in ways that you don't do in common everyday, say, lesser magic life. And I think that it's also for some people their nature or maybe human nature to anthropomorphize some of their experiences. Um, I think that people are natural pattern seekers. And so sometimes if, if, you know, when you look into the mirror and you have that kind of self dialogue of, you know, am I pretty today <laughs> or, you know, things like that. And you hear that voice in your head that's, yourself talking to yourself I think that that happens a lot in ritual we ask ourselves questions in ritual and we receive answers that we didn't even realize were part of our psyche I think that we can look into ourselves in ways that and and navigate areas of our own psyche that we weren't aware even existed and a lot can be uncovered and dis and discovered in that journey. And so I think that it's very easy to say, oh, Satan told me, or, you know, for some, you know, God told me, or whatever, when really it's just a communication, and there is a communion that's happening, there is a communication that's happening, and I think that it happens from within. Mm -hmm. And that's my personal opinion. I think that a lot of times when people call on deities or aspects of deities or demons or whatever, uh, you know, system they're working within, it's easy to, to use that as a boundary and a way of putting that experience into a box so that you can give it a name, call it something so that it's not a mystery or unknown. And so I do think that some people will go that way and start in when you do it enough and you have and it's a consistent uh, a consistent experience that you have on multiple occasions and then you're telling yourself that's not something I would think. That's not something I would do, it's easy to start to believe that it's an external source. There is something to be said about um, the idea of ritual in uh, by way of, of, of clearing your mind and, and 
thrusting out um, the intrusions that we just have to live with day to day. It's TV, radio, neighbors, work, um, traffic. So it, it is a nice way of, of quieting your mind to, to really focus on that one particular issue that you're in the chamber for. Um, and that may unlock answers that, that you know, you may not have, have been able to unlock on your own otherwise. Um, but yeah, not, certainly not a, uh, otherworldly thing. Now, do you think it's, um, and, and I'm going to ask you, Peggy, if, if I may, do you think that it's, uh, because we're wrapped in this idea of suspension of disbelief in the ritual chamber, that it's, uh, inappropriate to call out for the summoning of, of demons or devils, uh, specifically using that, 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 that verbiage? I don't know. The, w- the way I've always performed ritual, um, is I don't, I don't imagine physical entities attached to the names. I think I always just associate um, the, the histories and the stories about yes. them. And so is, is it wrong to attach um, physicality to the names while you're uh, summoning, um, you know, the energy or, 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 or calling out the names? Um, I, in- I don't think there's, there's much that's wrong mm-hmm. about what doing what works for you. I think that's the, the whole principle of satanic magic, whatever your, um, whatever you need to invoke in yourself to bring up your energy and focus it is what you should do. If you, you know, when you're calling on the infernal names and you want to visualize each one stepping into the room as a, a physical entity and you have a picture in your mind of what they look like, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think the more, the more the merrier. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's fine. When I invoke the infernal names, I tend to think of qualities associated with that historical entity, uh, that mythological being. Um, like when I, uh, one of my favorites to invoke is Ishtar because she's a female and like me, and she's also um, this great uh, mothering uh, entity who is also ready to completely destroy you if you cross her and i i really identify with that and (laughs) so that's kind of that's kind of how i run the uh the infernal names nice okay so here's a question um that was uh sent in do the quality of tools have any effect on the outcome of a ritual i also think this is a little loaded but i would like to hear uh your opinions uh nanaya do you want to attack this one I think that if you think that your quali- <laughs> the quality of your tools will affect your work, then they will. I think it's really that simple. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree with that. And I would say that it's all, you know, are you going to trip yourself up psychologically if you, you know, use a, a certain knife to, to, to say cut a, maybe you've made a little voodoo doll for yourself. Maybe you're running a curse ritual and you know, you're going to cut the, the little voodoo doll with this, this certain knife. And then you realize right in the middle of doing it that it's your favorite knife that your mother gave you and from her kitchen. And you're like, oh, oh, this isn't, this is, well, it doesn't really matter, but, in, but yet it does because <laughs> it's an, you know, that's the kind of, you know, little, you know, speed bump that's waiting for you, um, in ritual if you don't, carefully consider your what you're doing Mm. it's not it doesn't have to be a solid gold knife from tiffany's but it has to be a knife that's appropriate 
for what you're doing. That's what I would say is that's the importance of the tools. Not that they came from, you know, the, the best occult store in New Orleans and you bless them three times with water from the <laughs> sea. Like none of that is important. What's important is how important is it to you? Yeah. Just as, as Nanaya said. And, and there's ways or there's ways around that as well um, for people that need to get themselves in that mind frame, you know, that they don't feel like if they feel like a tool that they're using is inferior. It again, it's just a matter of changing your mind um, about how you approach that. And a lot of the ritual that I do is in my head. It just is. It's just a quiet space in my head. Um, I know it's kind of a Silva trick that I learned. It's a completely different system, but there's the concept of the the lab in your mind, and it's complete visualization. I don't need a knife because if if I need to symbolically cut something or sever something, all I have to do is intend it. You know, I, the the moment I think it, it's truth. The moment it enters my mind and I'm capable of taking that even to the execution of just visualization, it's done. Mm-hmm. And that's all, that's all I need where I'm at. Um, some, you know, I think that a lot of times practitioners, when they're first working out, it helps to have those tools and it helps if, if they feel that the personal investment in, in obtaining this, you know, like you said, <laughs> the gold from, Tiffany Blade, if, if you want that, if you feel like you need that, to to believe in your tool and believe wholeheartedly that your intention will be made manifest with that tool, then then that's what you need. Yeah. But at some point, I think practitioners do get to the point where they recognize that the tool is metaphorical and it's symbolical of what it is that they're intending. And it really is about you know, their focus and their intent and their wish, and their desire made manifest. Yeah, and I think this may also touch on a, a larger issue that I think a lot of people have. Um, that that if I don't have everything listed uh, on this list, then I cannot somehow perform a ritual. Or, or if, if I'm not, you know, if I don't have the, the quality of every single one of these items... Uh, you know, of same quality that, that you're attaching to it, then somehow it's not going to be as uh, as worth it. But I exactly, look at exactly, and the gypsy occult store owners have been taking advantage of that for years. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I don't even put much stock in the items because they're tools. What's important, and what I think both of you have touched on, what's important is your will and what you see it as, and. If it, if you're gonna, if you're gonna dwell on it as being a hindrance because you weren't able to get that $500 knife, uh, out of your budget that you were looking for for this ritual, where you shouldn't probably be doing that ritual because you're hanging yourself up on something that's really irrelevant to what the ritual is supposed to be about. Exactly. Not that thing. It's about you and your, your focus. Um, well, that's great. Precisely. <laughs> Greater Magic Practice. Quandum ubique, quandum semper, 
quandum ad omnibus traditor est, which means that magic is everywhere and all over the world. It's a recognized fact, always. The first question I received on, on practice was one that I received yesterday, and I thought it was perfect um, for two amazing women uh, to address, certainly two amazing satanic witches, uh, and it, there's a little bit of a setup, and then there's a question at the end, so if you'll bear with me. I was not involved in the occult prior to discovering Satanism, so ritualizing felt foreign and awkward when I first started. Most, but not all, of the awkwardness went away with practice. The greatest hurdle has been feeling at home as a celebrant, given my personality. When I picture someone conjuring demons, I picture a man, strong and powerful, or wizened with age. If I try to picture a woman, she's either a scary old crone or some dominatrix type, but not me. I'm more like Samantha Stevens or Barbara Eden in I Dream of Genie. If either raised a demon, they'd try to hide the mess and end up apologizing for the mishap. So here's the question. Any advice for either changing how I think of myself during a ritual, or changing the ritual to accommodate how I think of myself? And if you would, Peggy, I would like you to address this first. Well, I don't think that uh, if you're, uh, if you look like Barbara Eden or Samantha Stevens, uh, I don't think you have any problem conjuring up what you need. But uh, just read the complete <laughs> witch, the satanic witch. But I think that your qualities then that you'd focus on is you're a beautiful young woman. And uh, I think you should summon up the demons the way a beautiful young woman does. And how does she do that? Well, uh, look at a beautiful burlesque artist and how she focuses the audience on her. Well, just tempt those demons right in <sighs> using your, your wiles as a woman. Uh, you know, whether you're young and beautiful and you dress yourself up and put on your best face and spread out your tools and say, you know, Come here and do my bidding. Like, who could resist me? <laughs> Nobody. Certainly not you demons. You're all under my power. Um, but if you're an older, maybe nice kind of cookie lady, you know, spread out a lovely plate of delicious truffles and petty fours and say, here I am. I'm a nice lady and I want you to do things for me. I certainly deserve good things and you're going to give them to me. And there's no problem. You don't have to be, uh, you know, a dominatrix or a bitch queen to run a satanic ritual. You can be a very nice, beautiful, happy woman. And, I mean, don't we run the world? I mean, we're always, we give people what they need and we get from them what we want and run your ritual the same way. I agree very much. I think that you... You know, what is it about yourself that people are attracted to in daily life? And just take those qualities and step it up a notch. You know, if, if it's seduction, it's seduction. If it's, like, like Peggy said, if it's cookies, then it's cookies. Whatever. And then that's where you kind of move into a little bit of the lesser magic and, and using those, those skills and those talents. Certainly mm -hmm. use what tools you have. I, I know that a lot of that is personified by the media um, or even mythology as, you know, these great wizards, you know, standing there and beckoning things. But you can also look back into history 
and look at the oracles and the wise women. Some of them were, some of them were crones. Some of them were young maidens. Use what you got. Hmm. Yeah. And, and I would, I mean, I can't speak to the identifying as the woman part, but I can speak to the, um, altering the way you're looking at it part because what you're doing is is pigeonholing the experience into something that you cannot associate yourself with and that's really can't be further from the truth that's something that you're doing that has nothing to do with 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 the reality of the ritual or success or anything um you know one thing and this is all tying together everything we've discussed so far is it's about it's about your ability to visualize and express yourself and if you cannot envision if you can envision yourself as the um strong woman that I'm making the assumption you are then you have some work to do psychologically within yourself um, exactly, you know, Adam. I mean, you really, I, you really need to focus on you before you do anything in the ritual chamber, because I think. Go ahead. Uh, I was just gonna say because you you are everything that you uh that you, that you want to be in the ritual chamber. If you want to be that dominatrix woman, even if you're Samantha Stevens outside of the the decompression chamber, be that. If that's what you think you need, then you can a- adopt that role. There's nothing wrong with it. it, it I mean, you're suspending dis- disbelief anyway. So why not suspend your own hangups and just live in that moment? And then, and I think that's going to be the best way for you. Yeah. I think that a lot of people um, translate um, the calling of, or even calling of the infernal names and things like that as this command. You know, they, they assume command and often command is personified by males because that's what we see in our culture that they're commanding they're demanding um, they use the voice and 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 people fall to their knees and that captivates but I think that people don't always recognize that women can I think one of our greatest powers is the art of seduction and that can not only ensnare but entrap and bring anyone to their knees when done properly that use use what you have if you don't have the physicality to command then use your other skills and i think that people fail to realize that that can hold your audience just as deeply as a commanding voice or presence. Mm-hmm. So women can, women, we can captivate too. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so the next one, um, <laughs> I love this question because I've always been curious myself as a woman. How do you feel about the female altar? Um, uh, have you ever considered using a male altar? And uh, Nanaya, do you want to start this one? I actually love the female altar. I think that psychologically women represent um, many phases of life, many phases of experience. I think that especially in a magical working, it's very metaphorical for the concept of, you know, the bringer of life and nurture and 
um, you know, you can bring something into fruition that wasn't there before. And I think that, so psychologically, I think people identify with females there. And have I um, ever considered using a male altar? Um, I have and and have. So I've, I've had that experience. It wasn't in a satanic ritual. It was in a group setting in a pagan ritual, but the male was the altar. And it was a different type of working. It was a different type of focus and intention for that ritual. And so I think that, you know, it can, but I actually happen to love the female altar. That's just, I think the female altar is a wonderful metaphor for what uh, is uh, happening in a satanic ritual, which is that we are of the earth. It is the ultimate symbol of earthliness as opposed to spiritual uh, pipe dreams. Uh, she's lying there. She's beautiful. Everyone is focused on her. Um, it's it's flesh. It's the living, as Dr. LeVay says, and if you watch the old Satanist, is this living slab of flesh, mm-hmm. and that's really what she is. Um, if you've ever done a ritual with a female altar, and I've been in several large group rituals, when the female altar appears... It's just always amusing and fun to watch the men um, completely focus. Um, it's always uh, every head in the room turns, and it's uh, the energy completely changes. You can feel it right away. Um, men just, they love to look at beautiful naked women, and so it's a really great way to get a ritual. Everyone's up for the ritual at that point. Um, you don't have to uh, call <laughs> people out of the back or tell them to put their cigarette out. There's none of that. It has to go on now. Um, we are all focused on the ritual now. So um, it's it. No, I I think it's a wonderful thing. I've never done a ritual with a male altar. I support the use of a male altar if that works for people. Um, I have some theories about you know how women are not as visually stimulated as men are. I don't think mm-hmm. it would have the um, focusing quality for a mixed group of practitioners. Yeah. I think if the practitioners were all women, it might work very well. I don't know if it would in a mixed group. I just, I don't think it would be quite as effective as a female altar, but yeah. I'm, I'd be willing to try it. I'm, okay, this is going to be a bit unorthodox of a question here, and, and we're going to have to imagine because none of us fit the bill here. Um, but let's say you, you're, you know, two or three homosexual men. And, <laughs> I mean, the idea of the female altar is, is the, um, certainly what the, the female form represents. And, um, also at its core, I would like to think it's a, another one of the tools in the ritual chamber to heighten the energy, um, build. And that it certainly does. It certainly yeah, does. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And so, I mean, it, I mean, we're gonna have to imagine here, but if you are a homosexual man, would that, I mean, certainly part of it's gonna be lost because it's not the female form and all that represents, but if, if that's what you're attracted to, I mean, would that be a suitable substitution? Of course. Have you ever gone to a gay club and seen go-go boys? Everyone's focused on them. Well, I've been through them. (laughs) um, (laughs) Everyone's focused on the go-go boys. They're beautiful. Of course that would work. For nice. okay. a homosexual practitioner, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and, and, and even to speak I, to, the, yet, oh, I'm sorry. To me, 
I have yet to meet a gay man that doesn't love breasts. <laughs> that's so true. That's my that's my personal experience. Is that I I think that um, gay males that in general, you know, obviously there's going to be exceptions, but um, they they appreciate the female form, and I yeah. think that they can appreciate what what it represents. Sure. Yeah, and, and I think maybe at the base of my question was um, an assumption of ignorance because I also, um, like I, I was, I was my mother was an artist and she did a bunch of life drawing when I was growing up. So I always saw the female form as, as beauty before I found it sexual. And so to make an assumption that homosexuals couldn't do that, I mean, that was really stupid of a question. So um, Well, but does I, it I arouse the same it. type of energy, that same type of, you know, that kind of, visceral energy no they're not going to have that same response mm -hmm. it's going to be one more of beauty and appreciation and that representation as opposed to because we all know that you know that energy that is stirred by men that are aroused is vastly different than oh that's pretty you know yeah going to be different so it and you know and going back to my experience with the male altar i'm going to ag agree with peggy that it would have been much more effective had it not been a mixed group um there there was some discomfort by some of the males in the group and it took a lot more for the officiant to explain the representations and explain the working and it, it took a lot more for that officiant to to really get everyone to understand and and get the men that were uncomfortable in that situation to to respond. And I don't think that it was a very effective working, but I have seen it done. So. Nice. Okay. Um, well, how about we move a little bit here into. Uh, and now this was a question that that was uh, sent in uh, through a social networking site, um, and it's got a couple parts. So I'm going to start with the first, and then we'll sort of just you know go from there. Do you think Satanists and and Peggy, I'm going to address this to you initially. Do you think Satanists who do not practice greater magic are somehow missing out on anything? I think that Satanists who do not try a ritual are missing out on something. If they try it and it's not for them, no, I don't think they're missing out on anything. Um, I just think everyone should give it a try because I think that the results might surprise them. Yeah. And and, and before um, I, I ask you, Nanaya, about uh, follow-up or anything, would you, Peggy, recommend trying it, and I think the answer is obvious now, even if one does not feel the need to do so? I think that, yes, everyone should give it a try, and I think that... Um, I was going to say, I was going to incorporate this into something earlier. I think that there's a certain self-consciousness that people shy away from. People who don't practice rituals have told me, well, I feel silly um, standing in a room by myself, uh, burning a candle and saying these words. I, I, I feel silly. I feel self-conscious. Hmm. Well, I think that that self-consciousness is actually something that could work to your advantage. I think it's actually the kind of energy that you're looking to work with in a ritual. Just like uh, 
Dr. LeVay talks about at length in The Complete Witch or The Satanic Witch about um, the witch's own feelings of uh, embarrassment and somewhat humiliation when like her skirt rides up. And, and it's actually that, that embarrassment that's creating the energy that she's broadcasting that, that make men attracted to her and that focus people on her. And I think that that self-consciousness, that very discomfort that you feel when you um, turn off the lights and light the candle and start thinking, what the heck am I doing here? I think you can work that in. So that's why I think everyone should try it. I, I think there's something that's being asked here without overtly being asked. And, and, and I say this because there's a little follow-up statement that, that was tacked onto this. It says, I ask because I try to hone my skills in lesser magic as much as possible from day to day. But could the greater of the two somehow bolster or reinforce the lesser? Perhaps the psychodrama mentally reinforces the attitude of the user somehow. And I, I would like to point out that I think there's a misconception out there, certainly with the way I see it, and, and Peggy, please um, let me know if I'm way off track here, but the application of lesser magic and the application of greater magic are, are, are two very different tools for the same end in a lot of cases. But they are not isolated. Like, just because you practice lesser magic doesn't mean, and, and you're adept at it, doesn't mean that you never have a place for greater magic or that greater magic can't somehow aid in, in, in your, your will being done. And that one over the other is somehow an, an okay way to address the issue because I really think they're both integral. If, if you are going to be a practitioner and claim to be good at lesser magic and enhancing your skills, well, then you can't be very good at it because you're not using one of the most amazing tools in your belt. And that's the psychodrama that is the ritual chamber. Um, am, am I off base here? It is an amazing tool. And I think I, that's why I said I think everyone should try it. Do you think that one can enhance the other? Absolutely, one can enhance the other. And I think that's, and as I said, I think everyone should try a greater magic ritual working. Mm -hmm. um, what I, you know, I just, but I, I can't say, I can't, I'm not going to state here that, you know, you must do one, you must right. do the other. Right. Um, I think if you're a Satanist and you don't practice some form of lesser magic, I don't think that, that uh, you know, you've really missed the boat, basically. Yeah. Everyone has to practice lesser magic to an extent. Um, some are better than others, but, um, you know, otherwise you're, you're just going out there and, you know, letting the, the world just bounce you around. Uh, lesser magic is what we're all about. It's about going out and being effective and for our own happiness and our own ends. Um, whether you want to enhance that with greater magic is is up to you. I think everyone should try it at least once. Okay, so this actually feeds right into my next question, and that is, uh, how often do you ritualize? Uh, Nanaya, would you like to address this? Formally, um, as far as actually entering ritual chamber and you know having the accoutrements and the you know the whole environment, not as often as I used to. Um, I used to know less than once a month. There's been times in my life that I did it, you know, daily. I actually wow. had a daily process for 30 days. I think I lasted 21 days. 
Um, (laughs) But I think it's really difficult to do it because it it can be strenuous emotionally um, and as well as just time constraints and, of course, being a mother and all that type of stuff. So it's hard to find the space and the time sometimes. But I think that when it comes down to how often do I ritualize all the time, all the time, every every intention I have that I want to make manifest in my life is its own ritual. Every Everything that I do with deliberation and purpose is ritual for me because I... You know, I have an idea. I, I have my will. Um, I you know, plan how that's going to be executed. And I want to see it manifest. Mm-hmm. That's ritual for me. So every day and many, many times a day, technically. But that occurs in my in my head. Every time we make a decision, mm-hmm. there's there's a process to that. There's assessment of variables involved and you take a calculated risk and you draw things to you or implement things that that are necessary to see that happen and it happens great it worked so i think that life itself is can be many many metaphors for ritual as well peggy how how often do you ritualize well um, formally in the ritual chamber, I would say, you know, we, we do the big holidays and we do, um, you know, special things on special days. Um, I do workings all the time, uh, where I focus, you know, my, my energy, individual workings. Mm-hmm. Um, they can take place anytime or anywhere, as, uh, Nanaya says. Yeah, uh, it's definitely a, a part of my conscious behavior on a regular basis. Um, do you ever think that y- you get rusty when you haven't done a ritual in a long while, or, or does it rather help to ritualize seldomly? Um, I'm, I'm reading the question here, and it's a little awkward for me to read here, um, so that it is something very special. Well, I think rustiness, if you equate it with that self-consciousness I mentioned earlier, I think it can have its own role. Um, there's a certain, uh, you're coming to it new again, which is always a great thing for ritualizing and, and for often for other things in our lives. So I think, you know, if you've stepped into the chamber and you haven't been there in a while, um, it's a great way to kind of re-experience that first time you did it, which was, I'm sure for everyone was, was very powerful in how it changed our perspective. Yeah, and I think it could also be said that if you didn't have that experience the first time, if it wasn't that powerful, you probably wouldn't be doing it again. So, so yeah, Correct. absolutely. <laughs> um, so, uh, Nanaya, for formal rituals, do you feel like you ever get rusty if you haven't done one in, in, in some months or years? I think because I do so much, you know, like like Peggy says, individual workings and things like that on such a regular basis you know, things become very systematized and, and you edit and you pare down, especially with the psychodrama, it mm. becomes um, unnecessary. Or And so when you go into the ritual chamber, I, I do get resting in the sense that I may skip a step or something that I don't 
do physically because I'm doing it in my head. And so it appears like a, a step is skipped mm. when, you know, again, it's, it's my mind, my will, my intention. However, I may not represent that in a physical way. So I may not bring in a specific element or tool or behave in a way or speak a certain word. So Rusty, in that sense, that if there was an observer, they might say something's missing. Mm -hmm. But for me personally, the working is complete. The working itself isn't Rusty. It would really be more... If someone was observing, they there would be things that they wouldn't see that they would feel are missing. And luckily for us as Satanists, we don't have a problem with that. Yeah. <laughs> we don't think, oh no, it's all wrong. Now uh, <laughs> Satan's going to burst out through the floorboards because I forgot to put the magic circle in. It's like it was one inch too short. <laughs> and here he comes. It's like the devil rides out. If you've ever seen that old movie or read Dennis Wheatley's novels, they, they obsess on like these circles. They make circles out of salt to protect themselves and if, if the dog runs through the circle, oh no, now that the <laughs> demon can get inside. It's, luckily, we don't have those problems with yeah. our um, magical uh, system. Um, I would also like to insert here the idea of over-ritualizing in terms of, like, I was raised Catholic. I went to Catholic school. We prayed constantly. We prayed when we got to school. We prayed before we went to lunch. We prayed when we came back from lunch. And we prayed before we went home. We went to every first Friday Mass. We were When we were in the city, we were supposed to go to Mass with our school class on Sunday. You're supposed to meet up with your teacher on Sunday and sit with your class for the children's Mass. There was so much knee-bending and mumbling of the same prayers over and over again that it became for me when I started doing satanic magic in a group setting I had to unlearn a technique that I'd learned going to Catholic school which was to tune out I began to <sighs> psychologically tune out when they start lighting the candles and the priest gets up there you know I I, as a kid, just learned to like zone out, start thinking about the comic book I was going to read when I got home or the TV show I watched <laughs> last night. Um, you know, I just, this is the part where everybody mumbles and it's boring. It has nothing to do with me. Uh, it's not emotionally involving. In fact, it's the opposite of emotion, emotionally involving. So I would say that there's a possibility that could happen with satanic magic too. You could be standing at the back of the room, like holding your spear, as we like to say, and, um, zone out of it and that's very bad that's yeah. the opposite of what you want to do so um yeah you have to come to it new and make sure it's not by rote you have to keep making those mistakes and leaving stuff out because that means you have you know you're not there like holy mary mother of god chase the chickens around the yard <laughs> I mean, you're not there with your you know if you haven't learned about heart that that might be a good thing mm-hmm that's a great way yeah. of looking at it. Yeah, I I agree. There can be a point when if you're doing the same thing every time and it's it's the same thing every time. There's a mindlessness mm -hmm. and there's a lack and of I think consciousness it's with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's, that's it creates the drone. It creates you know people that are 
that are mindless and, and creatures of habit. And, and I think that, um, when you're using that type of mechanism to control people as well, you can certainly control them because they go into a numb, you know, like, like Peggy said, you get numb. And at that time though, when they kind of tune out and get numb, you're also highly suggestible. Mm-hmm. You're all in a hypnotic state. And I think that in the right circumstances, it can certainly um, be taken advantage of. Yeah, and, and it's certainly counter to what the ritual is, and that's you trying to do that to other people. So <laughs> if, you, if you're ritualizing right. so it much that you're just calling that state, that there's no there's no point in ritualizing at that point. Uh, okay, well, let's talk a little candidly. Um, so the surprise factor. This is something uh, maybe a little bit of fun. You know, if you can sell, share some anecdotes uh, with us that you've experienced, um, and uh, if it's all right, we'll I'll I'll have a uh, Nanai, if you want to start here, were you ever in a situation that something happened in a ritual that you hadn't expected? And I guess, how did you, how did you deal with that? And, and we sort of touched on the idea of it, but if you could give a specific. There, there have been many, 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 many <laughs> moments. Um, you know, I would probably say eight out of 10 times or, or maybe even, you know, nine to 10 out of 10 times. I think something unexpected always happens. Yeah. And I think that's a good thing. Um, a specific example, um, Dryden Shahar and I were, were in a particular ritual and it, you know, with, with the darkness and the shadows and, and things like that, we at one point looked at each other and we saw our faces morph. And I saw it in him and he saw it in me and we didn't speak it at that moment. We just both stopped and stared and realized that it was happening. And so I think that any time that something like that happens that's unexpected, completely unexpected, you just go with it. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a moment that you don't want to discard that experience. Everything is an experience and you just, you just go with it. Nice. Peggy, did you have any you'd like to share? Yeah, we had a moment. <laughs> um, it really, it wasn't of a, a, you know, magical or morphing nature, but it was a, one of those bumps in the road. Um, we had a, a member of the priesthood who, who I will not name when we, or he wanted to have a formal ritual to recognize his ordination, which we were fine with. And we invited a bunch of people and it was very formal and very, very cool. And part of the ritual was going to be that we, he wanted to shave his head ritually, mm-hmm. and he had went and uh, got himself a beautiful straight razor because he wanted to do it that way because uh, Anton LaVey had described doing that. And, uh, you know, we had a special basin of water, it's the waters of Zamzam, and, you know, we're going to shave his head. And we <laughs> they hand me the razor, and I step up. And he bends his head forward and, you know, I have, you know, I lather him up a little. So, you know, we don't want it to be painful. And I, I start to, to try to shave him and I realize I can't do this. This isn't cutting his hair. His hair is simply not being cut by this straight razor. I mean, it's a nice idea, but it isn't working. And I look up and standing behind him is his girlfriend with her eyes are wide with terror. She's afraid I'm about to cut his head off with this thing. 
So that was, and you know, I had to turn to uh, Peter, who was the co-celebrant, and I'm like, you know, I have so what am I going to say? I have to say something that sounds very ritually, but it's like going to be like <laughs> I can't cut his hair. So that was, um, you know, we we kind of uh, finished it off with a, 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 you know, a nice electric razor. Um, but it, yeah, that was like a moment of what the heck do I do now? This is great. Yeah, but you have to be able to go with those things. You do, have to, and and if you're working with a group, you know that's kind of that's a really fun anecdote. By by the way, you know you just say, well, you know somehow you make it into that was a meant to be situation, mm-hmm. and you just kind of go with it, and everybody kind of giggles, and but sometimes some things happen, and you know that that adage of you know certain things happen for a reason. Okay, we'll go with that. <laughs> yeah. If you want to think that it happened for a reason, fantastic. Um, or if you want to think that it was a big screw up, that's, that's fine too. But I think that you have to have a sense of humor about those things or be able to, you have to be able to think on your feet in a ritual mm-hmm. and be responsive to where the ritual goes. Yeah. And, and that actually addresses another thing I, I sort of wanted to touch on was that I think there has to be a, a little bit, a, a fair amount of ability to improv. Oh yes. In, when you're when you're officiating a ritual, for example, or, or a moment in a ritual, I mean, if, if these things happen, you have to be able to pick it up and keep going somehow. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I think that for me, a spontaneity is the is the goal. Um, you want it to be a little more spontaneous. I think uh, when when people behave spontaneously in a ritual, maybe somebody will start to uh, dance or uh, do something that wasn't planned. I think that's that's good because it. It usually means that their emotional status are very heightened. They feel very comfortable with the the crowd that's there, the people who are there, and um, I think it's it's great. I you know I, I'm always kind of sorry if it doesn't happen uh, in a ritual. Uh, nobody kind of steps out of line a little bit and does something. It, it, it always makes it better. Do either of you ever find yourself intentionally adding um, the opportunity? Of, of mishap, uh, maybe consciously, maybe subconsciously, if you can objectively look at it, um, just so you have that, that spontaneity. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've done a few things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. I mean, yeah, there's, there's times when, um, I kind of think maybe the group is a little silent. And so perhaps I might walk behind them and, you know, forcefully touch them on the back just to create, you know, they may be eyes closed and, and kind of dreaming out and, you know, I'll come up and just kind of scare them a little bit (laughs) Um, and give them something to think about, pick them up or, you know, and sometimes working with an intimate group when you work with people that, you know, for instance, if I, if I know that they're going through something that I think that the ritual can facilitate maybe they're not considering um that like say they they need to do a little bit of destruction on a personal issue and so i may whisper something to them specifically you know this relates to or how does that make you feel about um or i may touch them on a specific part of their body that they may identify with a personal issue and it gets them moving. It gets them stirring. And I think sometimes when you work with people closely, that's much easier. But 
sometimes, yeah, create some laughter, create some some terror, create something to get an emotional response. I have one that whenever she gets into her more ecstatic state, she she grunts and she moans and she sounds like she's giving birth. Whoa. And you know, that creates some discomfort for some some others and so I may respond to some of the others in a different way. But I think that it's important to sometimes wake them up a little bit. Um, Peggy, are there any technical tricks that you've learned from, you know, ritualizing as long as you have, or maybe your first ritual? No, my first ritual uh, <laughs> was very low tech. <laughs> but I didn't have any tools. I didn't have even a baphomet. All I had was the satanic Bible. So I can't really say that <laughs> I've learned any technical tricks from that ritual but as the um the years have gone on we've we've learned a few things first of all flash paper is really good to use in a ritual Hmm. it's uh fun and surprising uh the when the celebrant uh pops a a flame in his hand or in a cup or something um i recommend everyone go get themselves some from the magic store um you know music yeah, sound effects. Uh, we we love a good uh, thunderstorm tape uh, to put on. That is often if you if you can't think of any music or you're doing something on the fly and you don't have time to program music, just put on a good old thunderstorm, and uh, that's always great for a satanic ritual. It's great background sound as you're um, reciting the words. So, yeah. uh, Nanaya, did you have any technical tricks that you learned from any of your ritualizing? I, I think I think I learn a trick every time. You know, there's there's always something that comes up. Um, I actually cannot recall my first satanic ritual. I was probably 12 or thereabouts. So I actually don't really have a big memory of that. Um, you ritualized a satanic ritual at 12? Well, that's when I first read the satanic Bible. Wow. And I remember, you know, trying to do everything <laughs> that yeah. was in it. You know, and like I've told you in a previous interview, I put that down for a while. Mm-hmm. But as far as technical tricks, I mean, I was a kid. And I would like to just point out that um, the there is um, a youth communication um, fact or, or sheet or, or response at churchesain.com. So if you are under 18, I suggest you go and read it. Um, there's some information there that I think you're going to um, find important. And I think it is important to understand that, that, that Satanism, though there are exceptions, um, of understanding, um, for individuals, I think, I think it's important to look on it with adult eyes, um, when you're going to move forward as a Satanist. And, and, and certainly, Peggy, please correct me if I'm wrong here, but the Church of Satan feels the same way. And certainly you can't even be a member until you're of, of 18 age. So, um, it, that is important. However, you know, individually, you know, it, I, I have to say, as a young man in high school reading the Satanic Bible for the first time, I found it much healthier to express myself through ritual than I ever did through um, hitting someone. And I, I think it's a, a much healthier way of, of dealing with things. So, um, you know, it's going to very much be on your own and hopefully with some loving support, you know, a, a support system that's loving to you, um, and your family, uh, your friends, make sure that you, you understand that this is very much an adult 
certainly the Church of Satan organization, and Satanism, I, I, I think, is an adult ideology. That is correct, Adam. And we do have young people who approach us, and we tell them, as Magus Gilmore was told when he wrote to the Church of Satan when he was uh, 13 or 14 years old, uh, that we'll be here when you're ready and when you're old enough to join. Uh, so just be strong, be brave, uh, keep read, read your Satanic Bible, like apply it to your life, go to school, do your homework, <laughs> mm-hmm. be the best you you can be. And when it's time you're old enough to join, we'll, we'll be here. And there's plenty of stuff for you to be reading. In the meantime, there's plenty of learning for you to do. Uh, don't feel that, uh, you know, you're completely marginalized from everything. There's lots of reading and things you can do on your own at your own level that you're at now. And we have members who received letters like that. And years later, they did join and they are here now. And they're among some of my favorite people to hear from. So, uh, yeah. That's yeah, right. I have, um, I have a 15 year old son and he, he, thinks ideologically very much like me and I have one that doesn't so much but mm-hmm. um, that one does and and I, I will say that last year when you know I've started seeing so many of these qualities in him and and the way he thinks and the way he operates and the way he moves through the world I was like you know what read this and so I, as a parent I gave him the satanic bible and after that, uh, the Devil's Notebook, and he read them, you know, voraciously and enjoyed every word. But there was a lot, so much of the information that he just doesn't have the life experience to to conceptualize some of his some right, of his things, right. and and he knows that and he recognizes that. But since reading those things, he was, um, you know, the kind of kid that. You know, had hair over his eyes, you know, kind of like I'm my own independent person and why are you looking at me? And it's because you don't look like everyone else. And he actually made incredible aesthetic changes in himself, mannerism changes in himself, because he realized through the Satanic Bible, he realized the benefit of lesser magic and and becoming what appeared to be more mainstream that his life has changed incredibly because he realized the power of using the appearance of mainstream as manipulative tool and that was something that he took from the Satanic Bible. That's great. I find that interesting. I've taken a lot of your time. I truly do appreciate it. There were a couple other questions, but I'm, I'm not entirely sure that they're going to bring out anything that we haven't already addressed. So uh, I think I want to thank you each, um, Sisson and Naya and, and Magistrate Pagan Adramia. Thank you very much for your time. I know the audience is very appreciative of, of your words and your opinions and uh Yeah, thank you so much for your time. I hope to uh, have uh, further conversations with you individually. Hail Satan. Hail Satan. Hail Satan. Zoetan's done.
that's going to do it for year 47 Anno Satanus, 9 cents Greater Magic episode. I would like to once again take a moment and thank Magistrate Peggy Nadramia and Citizen Nanaya Sema for joining me and sharing their thoughtful insights. I would also like to thank Chris X for allowing me access to an amazing soundtrack. I think it's easy to forget that the Church of Satan as an organization really supports the philosophy of Satanism more than anyone ever knows. And without that organization standing there defending the philosophy and fighting for it while the rest of us live our lives, well, it really wouldn't be as clear as it is now, even though at times that seems very foggy in others' eyes. So I would also like to thank Magus Peter H. Gilmore. I think you've done an amazing job. I want to thank you for holding up the center pole of the tent that I always say Satanism represents. All of us underneath it truly appreciate it. And I think, at times, episodes like this may help to alleviate the burden. But that's my goal. And I would also like to thank you, the audience. Thank you for allowing me into your lives to share my thoughts and to bring you guests whose opinions you value. And truly, it was your content that made this episode possible. So thank you. If you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com. And if you'd like to hear other fine satanic voices, music, or personalities, visit radiofreesatan.com, an online streaming radio station. Once again, thank you for joining me, and until next week, I am your host, Adam Campbell. Hail Satan!